Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Game Plan Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes. Jason Staples will soon be with us to complete the trifecta that you uh, so commonly see on Thursday nights. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. All right, it's the game plan. I've entitled this one Bright Lights, Big Game, Greg. I think this is a large game for Carolina's football program. I've spent a lot of time on some Miami sites and talking to some Miami people down there, and it's a it's a very big game for that program as well. Um, you know, we talked about this game in the preseason as being one that uh, was going to be sort of a bellwether game for North Carolina in the Coastal Division. Well, here we are. Your overall thoughts heading into this one at 4 o'clock at Hard Rock? Who would have thought that, that Carolina would have a 12-11 edge in this series against Miami, right? I mean, that uh, that's just a, a crazy, crazy stat, and it kind of speaks to what this rivalry has been really ever since the John Bunning days. I mean, even, even when Carolina lost some games to Miami back then, uh, they were competitive. It's just been a – it's just been a – a great run for Carolina against the Hurricanes. And as you say, that this is yet another game this season that's very important for North Carolina. Um, it's very important for both of these teams with regard to the Coastal Division. Everybody knows this is the last year of division play in the ACC. And you, Miami, of course, was the, the preseason favorite, but everybody thought it was going to be Carolina, Miami, and Pittsburgh. Uh, and Miami, I mean, Nobody's looked great. Carolina's probably looked better than anybody. Um, but having to go on the road where Carolina has struggled in the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, um, and I think the big thing, too, is Carolina, we talked about it last week on this show, Tommy. Uh, Virginia Tech was a get-right opportunity, as you termed it. Very much the case. Uh, and so Carolina did what they needed to do against the Hokies. 41-10 is very impressive. But you got to be careful not to put too much on that game. I mean, when you look at the ESPN Football Power Index, Virginia Tech is the worst team in the ACC and the 64th best team in the Power Five. And there's only 65. And Colorado lose to a lot of SCS programs. So uh, Virginia Tech was, was at the bottom of the barrel. But credit North Carolina for doing what it had to do and what it needed to do in a pretty dominant performance. But this is a step up. So this is another opportunity to build on that performance last week. And if you can win this game and get to 2-0 in the Coastal, 
I'm not ready to say they're in a catbird seat, but they're pretty close in terms of you know Charlotte first weekend of December. Yeah, you know, I've kind of like come off of that Virginia Tech game a little bit. I thought it was a big deal for the defense um, to have some success, and I still think that's the case. I think this is the game, um, but, you know, we might be having the same discussion next week. But I, I think this is the game, and especially next week against Duke, are the two games that Carolina needs to see if this defense is legit. And so, but Tommy, let me say something real quick. What you just said there is very important because what you want, if you're having success, is for the next week to mean even more. That means you're on the right track. You, know, you want the Duke game to mean a lot. You want the Pittsburgh game, game to mean a lot. You want going to Wake Forest uh, early November to mean a lot. And you want that NC State game to mean a whole bunch. Or maybe nothing at all because you've already got it wrapped up. But that, that's an important part here. Win this one so that next one matters even more. And that's how you have to approach it. Yeah, and that's it. Because when, when you're in October, late October, November, and they don't mean anything, that means you stink. And uh, then you become just spoilers. You stink like old food, spoiled food. Oh, God, I'm channeling Joey Powell or something. How, how you doing, Joey? <laughs> I'll talk to you Saturday on Inside Carolina Live. Let's get in the uh, th- this guy. He's fashionably late. Um, Jason Staples is joining us, and I'm trying to figure out how to use this stuff, so bear with me. Boom, look at that. Hold on, hold on. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. You are – Tell you what, in retirement, you have truly become a professional, Tommy. <laughs> How about that? I put the two experts at the top. I just tucked myself down between all the socials and the captions and the titles and all that stuff. Jason, we'll get you in right from the start. Greg and I have been talking about the importance of this game for North Carolina and you know, sort of weighing the Virginia Tech aspect going into this one. And, and we're going to do better this, this podcast, too. Somebody – um, last week, rightfully so, said the game plan needs to be about the game plan. <laughs> and so we're going to talk about the game plan, but I want to get Jason's opinion on the importance of this game, not only for the defense, but for the Carolina football program. I think anytime you've got a chance to beat Miami, who is for, you know, like it or not, regarded as one of the premier brands in the, in the ACC, I think it's important. Because, you know, we talked last week about how you want to absolutely kick a bad Virginia Tech team while they're down because that's a program that historically you've had to recruit against a bunch. Well, who are the programs that you want to be recruiting against? <laughs> right? So, and there were some people that in response to that comment in the, in the, on the uh, premium message board, on the Tar Pit premium message board, uh, responded by saying, yeah, well, I mean, but we don't want to be recruiting against Virginia Tech. We want to be recruiting against, you know, Georgia and Clemson and the rest. Well, yeah, you do. But that starts by beating Virginia Tech with some consistency. And then you take the next step by, you know, beating a, a brand program in Miami. Even though they haven't won anything in 20 years, they're still a brand program. You beat a brand program, and then you've got more credibility when you go into South Florida and you go into, you know, various places and you say – look, we're one of the, one of the big dog programs in the ACC right now. And, you know, that, I think that matters. So, uh, you know, I heard what Greg was saying in terms of you want every game to matter more. Well, you know, you beat Virginia tech. Now you have a chance to, you know, step into the, into slightly higher recruiting company with more credibility. So yeah, this is a big game 
not just for this season. I mean, we all know this is a big game for the season, for the season goals. But for building a program, the more times you beat Miami and you you continue to show that when it comes to brands and quality of program, you're, you know, you, you're not in a different tier than them. If anything, you're in a higher tier than them. That that goes for a long goes a long way. Greg, Max 3-0 and in his return against Miami. And, of course, it includes the just epic game in 2019. I, I've been in Keenan Stadium for the past 50 years. Uh, that tw- I retweeted it, Manny Navarro's tweet of being down there on the field where the touchdown pass was caught. I mean, that that is top three, maybe top two behind Geo punt return against NC State of anything I've seen in Keenan Stadium. But this is a different team with Miami. Uh, Mario Cristobal comes in, brings in Kevin Steele and Josh Gaddis. So it's not old uh, Mac beating the beating his children down, you know, like his family his family tree or his coaching tree down here. Cristobal's got a, a pretty significant, maybe a pretty significant upgrade. But let me say this: ah, uh, maybe. I, I was about to go In what there. respects? I was about to go there. Hold on. <laughs> Come on, Jason. You sound like you you sound like you're on Star Wars spaceship. Um, so I'll let you pass on that. But no, Miami fans and Miami folks that follow Miami closely, they're pretty down on the first four weeks of this season. Um, and they view Carolina game as, as maybe a get right game for them. But why is it that Carolina and especially Mac has seemed to to get it for this game and to be able to come through against Miami, setting up another chance to do just that Saturday. I can answer that before Greg does. He's a Florida state graduate. Do you think that's it? Is that it? (laughs) That's not it. But I mean, (laughs) realistically speaking, that can't be it, but boy, it, it, it seems like the right thing to say. And I think Mac would, 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 kind of smile at that one too knowing him so uh so yeah it's got to be in there (laughs) one thing i failed to tell those miami folks i was talking to them i was like one of our experts is florida state former guy because i didn't want them to just blast me off the show right away greg (laughs) Greg, your your take on max ability uh maybe it's the florida state connection to uh handle miami uh, and get it done against this team who's traditionally been one of those ones that you would think should be a lot better than they are. Well, right, and that kind of goes with what we were talking about earlier. Um, I mean, and as, as Jason noted, it's a brand name, right? I mean, the Hurricanes. But have they really been that good over the last, I don't know, 15 years? I, mean, I know 20. Mark Richt had a, had a good, yeah, the last 20 years. I know Rick had a good run, had a couple years there that were pretty good. They, they won the Coastal. Um this has kind of been an, an average program. And if you, if you look at their results, you take away the name and do a blind taste test, if you will, uh, they haven't really been as good as they should be. And I, I think this is one of the things that's interesting with the, the Carolina talk. Is we talked all offseason about, all right, Carolina finally has that talent on the defensive side of the ball. What you don't want to be is like Miami, where you have all the talent and you just don't perform. Right? And I think that's why some people got so – frustrated early in the year with the defensive performance um we know miami's had the had the talent just the coaching hasn't been there they've gone through a lot of different guys since since butch davis and larry coker um mario is he an upgrade over what they've had yes is he an elite coach well, i don't think we have enough information to make that claim quite yet 
Although he does have a really, a really good coaching staff. And they're going to recruit pretty well. But we're going to see, you know, over the next couple of years, um, how exactly he he builds that program. Um, so I just think, you know, Mac is taking advantage. Uh, and I'm sure the fact that he has those Seminole ties plays, plays a role. But, I mean, as I said, Bunning has some success. Larry Fedora has success. Uh, Mac is taking advantage. I mean, if you remember that game in Keenan in 2019, Sam Howe had to complete like a fourth and seven late in that game to even set up that touchdown pass to Daz Newsom in the corner. Um, and then, of course, everybody remembers what happens down there in 2020, which is probably, not probably, that was clearly the best performance of the Mac Brown 2.0 era. And that was a game, of course, that, uh, that catapulted North Carolina to the Orange Bowl. Yeah, that was fourth and 17. Excuse me, 17. Yeah, and I think that was Toe Groves. Not his only catch at Carolina, but it was certainly, if I remember yeah. correctly, his biggest. Uh, Jason, you, you're shaking your head, nodding, and a bunch of stuff over there. Um, <laughs> see, I don't want Talk I don't, about somebody I, with Seminoles ties. I know. I don't <laughs> want to bleed into the. Uh, I, I think Mario Cristobal is an upgrade of a man that he is. I think. I'm not is. sure he is. Not but, as a coach. So not as certainly not as a game day coach. So, so I think in the long haul, if we're talking about building a program and recruiting, especially, then yeah, yeah, I think Cristobal is a really really good recruiter. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sold on him as a coach in all sorts of other respects. If you look at what he's actually done with the given talent that he's had in different places. Go go look at the talent he had on some of those Oregon teams and what their actual results were. I mean, the guy managed to to make the guy that is the comp for Drake May look like a you know pretty good college quarterback. I mean, th- those offenses weren't great, and I'm not sure how. And, you know, uh, I think a lot of what he does, he's got some some philosophy on offense that there's some things he really wants to do that I don't think are especially strong. And uh, and I think in particular, last year's offensive coaching staff under Manny Diaz was stronger than this year's offensive coaching staff with Josh Gaddis. And I think they certainly fit their pro, their personnel better. Uh, I think Josh Gaddis is a, is, is one of those guys whose reputation as an offensive coach is better than his actual, uh, better than the actual results as an offensive coach. So, yeah, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you that. That was, that's fair. I, so, I think I mean, that's fair. And I think they I think the Miami crowd right now would agree with you. Yeah, so I think, you know, as a game day coach with the same talent, I don't think last year's coaching staff, I don't think this year's coaching staff is an upgrade over last year's. In terms of acquiring talent for the future, I think that's where this this coaching staff has a chance to be a good bit of an upgrade for Miami. But they're banking on that aspect of things rather than on the things that are going to impact this year's game. Greg, uh we're going to get straight into this game. There, there's a bunch of stuff I'd like to talk about. I, I will mention again, and I've mentioned it when I've done radio for the for Miami stuff, is a lot of people, you did it. And then I heard from 
two other ACC officials that did almost the same thing and it sort of compared like Carolina's Miami. They're they're very similar teams. The defense, especially in the aspect of the defense, all this talent they weren't putting together. Um, do you still think that? Do you still see that after the Virginia Tech game? Um, where we've talked about that Virginia Tech's just, you know, barely above FCS, maybe. They're probably a fourth or fifth best team in the Sun Belt. I mean, is Carolina – what can Carolina do to get out of that, to get out of that comparison, in your opinion, this weekend? Virginia Tech's the uh, fourth or fifth best in Sun Belt? I don't know. I might argue with you on that one too, Tommy. Um, <laughs> you think they're maybe look, sixth or seventh? Yeah. I, mean, I don't think they're better than that for sure. Look, what did Jason tell us when we were picking games for the Notre Dame game? He said, until he actually sees it against a good opponent, it's hard to put a lot of trust in what the defense can do. Uh, they didn't do it against Notre Dame. Now, they did it against Virginia Tech, but let's be honest, Virginia Tech sucks. They do. I mean, that's, that's the facts of the matter. Um, and so, as I said earlier, give them credit. I mean, you only play who you play, right? whoever's next on the schedule. They should have locked down Virginia Tech. They did exactly that. They played very well. So build on that. Are they ready to take that next step? We don't know that. That's a good building block game. We don't know if this team is ready to take the next step up. So um, that's what this week is about. It, you know, Virginia Tech was get right. Miami is going to be prove it. And uh, I think that's really what this comes down to. Ooh, I think I the, on the beat earlier in the week, I, I named it ready to prove question mark. So we're, we're vibing. Greg and I have always, it's been a long time we've been together. Um, Jason, give me, uh, well, let me put this up here so Jason can get his head just a little bigger. Jason is right. Cristobal spelling is a bad game day coach. Ask any Oregon fan. That's from Nick uh, Whitfield in the chat. Uh Jason, give me one thing before we come back after the break and talk specifics of what Carolina does besides win the game that makes you say, okay, 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 this team might be pretty good. If they can stop the run in this game, if they can really force Miami into uh, second and third and long situations, that'll be a really good sign. Because what, what Cristobal does, what he wants to do, what Josh Gaddis is going to do, they're going to come in and try to pound the rock. They're going to line up and they're going to try to run the football. And my Miami hasn't been real good doing that, but they've been better than Virginia tech doing that. And, you know, they've, they've had some success doing it. They, they actually had some success doing it against Texas A&M. You know, you look at their rushing numbers and on the season, uh, Let's see, uh, Miami, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm looking this up in terms of their numbers, looked up the wrong, the, uh, clicked on the wrong link here. So uh, Miami, in terms of their rushing numbers on the season, uh, they've got uh, 3.77 yards per carry against Southern Miss, 4.86 at Texas A&M, and then 1.58 against Middle Tennessee State. So this is not a prolific run offense. I mean, it's not a whole lot better as a run offense than Virginia Tech's. But they've got a couple backs who can make you pay if you're not in your right gaps and those sorts of things. So this is, this is an opportunity to take that next step forward and to actually prove you can 
you can stop an average to below average, a, a run offense that's been average to below average so far. And again, that would be a big step forward as far as as far as where this defense has been. And I think it would mean that they win the game. Let me ask one more question. Tyler Van Dyke has been not good this year, but he was fantastic last year, Greg. Um, he didn't forget how to play. Is that a Josh Gaddis effect? Is that just completely – and this is what's always interesting to me when I see coaching changes, not just Carolina, not just anywhere, is coaching changes happen, they come in, and you see the talent, and then you try to do something different that clearly doesn't suit your players. Is that what we're seeing at Miami? And what we've seen at Miami, I, I would think the people down there believe that. Um, but Tyler Van Dyke, I mean, he got booed off the field last week or two weeks ago and maybe deserved it the way he played. But how can you go from being so good to end last season and, and then just not in this quick a period of time? It's got to be coaching, right? I'm sure coaching plays a big part of it. They were asking him to do a little bit differently than what Lashley had him doing last year. Um, you know, it was really half half the year last year where, where Van Dyke played so well. Still a young guy. So um, has he had the start everybody expected? No, because he, he finished last season just red hot. Um, but I think a lot of it's kind of been overblown. I mean, I think they sat him uh, late against Middle Tennessee State just to give him a, a break. And I know – media down there and of course the fan base wanted to, to make a big deal about it and talk about it being a quarterback competition with with Garcia. Uh, I don't see that being the case. I think that's very much kind of what we saw um, you know Larry Fedora do back in 2014 with Trubisky. Uh, you know after well, I guess that was maybe 15. That was 2015 wasn't it? Uh, when Marquise got benched against Bel Delaware in the second half. Uh, and then you know, Marquise came back out and started playing pretty good after that. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't – I'm sure the the scheme change certainly has played a role in it and getting adjusted to what the coaches want. But I, I think a lot of it's been overblown thus far. Let's take a break. We're going to take an earlier break than we usually do. It's 921 here on the East Coast, 922 now. You listen to the Game Plan Podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. People are asking about the shirt I have on in the chat. It says, I see everything. And on the back, there's a Johnny T-shirt logo. Um, can't get them anymore. This is a, this is literally would have to be, I'll give you the shirt off my back if you were to get one of these. Uh, but Johnny T-shirt can get you everything else you need. They can get you all the gear you need for tailgating, home gating, um, stuff in your house, swag in your house, and, of course, all the jerseys you need. The NIL jerseys are out, basketball and you can get football jerseys, baseball, anything at Johnny T-Shirt. And look, they are so nice to go into East Franklin Street store and see them. Visit them there. If you can't get there, visit them online at johnnytshirt.com. Either way you go, you get that Inside Carolina 10% uh, off if you're a member of the premium message boards and you get that code off the message boards. Go visit them, take care of them. They take care of us, and they are wonderful, wonderfully alumni-owned and operated and great friends of Inside Carolina. National guys will pay the bills. It's the game plan, Miami edition. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, boys. 923 now on the East Coast. Let's get straight into the game plan because I've got some antsy people in the comments. So, Jason, you mentioned stopping the run. I'm going to call up a question that I thought I had right here handy uh, from Bull Hill. And Bull, I can't find it. Ah, here you go. Well, let's get into it. Jason, I'll come to you first. Would love to hear some discussion on how we, as in North Carolina, gets the running game going against the Hurricanes. Yeah. Uh, Easier said than done. Um, You know, they actually have a pretty good defensive line. Uh, I'm going to read off their run defense numbers on the year. Against Southern Miss, they gave up 1.04 yards per per carry. Against Texas A&M, 3.88 yards per carry and 2.75 yards per carry against Middle Tennessee State. That is, um, that's all pretty good. Those are really good numbers in terms of that against the teams. Even, even in their losses, they've not given up a whole lot on the ground. So I don't actually think that this is a game where you look at and you say, okay, we, we can get better on, you know, this is, this is not a get right game in the, in the running game. This is a game where, in my view, you come out and you you throw to set up the run. You run just enough to keep their front honest, and you let Drake May go out and do his thing. That's what you do in this game. If you're going to focus on getting right in the running game, I think you have to do that in another week. If they try to come out and they try to run it a bunch in this game, I think I think that's a recipe for some uh, some problems rather than than having more success. Greg, get in here. Same topic, same question. While Jason flies around the starship. Uh, Carolina, run, I love the point. This is not the time to try to uh, establish the run overtly uh, and completely against Miami. Uh, but your thoughts there, I think Carolina does need to, to have some semblance of it uh, to at least or at least force Miami to have to spend more than just four guys to stop it. Your thoughts on, on this offense and running the ball down in Miami? Yeah, this is where you know, Phil Longo has been doing this long enough. He kind of understands. We have these conversations about Larry Fedora. Both those guys are very much take what the defense gives you. Um, but what you have to be careful about is if, if you if you you want to stay balanced. But they look at balance over the course of a season, not necessarily a game. Um, so you don't necessarily want to take what Miami gives you every snap because it's a really good defense. It's kind of like. Notre Dame. I mean, if you if you want to be factual about it, in terms of how how quality of a unit that can be, and we can talk about some of the numbers and and the flukiness that happened against Middle Tennessee State. Um, but this is a game where Phil Longo needs to be at his best. He needs to be able to mix and match. Um, he can't sell out one way or the other. He has to be creative, and you have to show the run even when you may only pick up one or two yards. I think one of the biggest issues for Carolina. Um, against Virginia Tech 
is I think eight runs accounted for like 85% of their rushing yards. And everything else was, was very minimal. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it was roughly 25 of their carries averaged one and a half yards. Um, that's going to be a problem if that happens. So you, you do have to get a little bit creative. You can't just sell out on it. Um, you can't just lean on Drake May because what you don't want to do is get into consistent third and longs. And I know the guy has been phenomenal on third and long, scrambling and all those kind of things. You don't want to put him at risk. You want to make it as manageable as you can on third and short. I mean, you can you can score a lot of points on third and short, especially with this offense. Miami's going to do everything they can to kind of really bottle you up the first two uh, downs of a possession. And so that's that's where Longo's got to be good. He's got to be able to run the ball somewhat effectively. He's got to show a willingness to run the ball, even if success is not there, to be able to open the passing game and give Drake May and the wide receivers some room to work. Yeah, I think Amari and Hampton had, what, 30, 30 35 seven. of 37 yards on one, one play? Yeah, and then uh, so they've got to have some consistency there. Jason, Max hollered about it all the time, and one of the questions on the uh, – in the chat, and I'll call it up here again, and I'm not a good, as good as this, um, as uh, producer John is on my other show, but Slagle, the tried and true Slagle, why doesn't Carolina run wide more often? They struggle between the tackles. Why do you think, Jason? I think some of it is just the philosophy that they, that they build in in terms of what they, what they run. Uh, you know, they are an inside zone, you, you know, one thing you, you've got to give uh, Phil Longo a lot of credit on is he he builds his offense around a, a clear identity, and you want that. You want to have an identity, and he, you know, they've got big backs that they've built towards running a lot of inside zone. That's what they do. They do that a lot. So, you know, I think that's that's part of it. I think the other part though is when you're gonna when you're gonna run the way that they're trying to to sort of base their passing game off of play action and all of that you have certain play action and certain rpos that you're running running off of and when they have a lot of rpos it's hard to run rpos off of outside stuff so uh so uh <laughs> sorry the chat is killing me um <laughs> The uh, but you know, the, when you're running RPOs, there's certain plays that pair better with certain RPOs, and they're having so much success throwing the football on RPOs right now that that's also part of it. You got to think of the RPOs as an extension of the running game. When you call a run play and you have a, a completion down the field for 15 yards, that's still a run play. So, I think that's also a factor. Uh, and finally, I think you know, in terms of the backs that they have. For the most part, these are backs that should be a little bit better. They're going to be a little more comfortable between the tackles once they sort of figure it out. So I think it's a combination of things. It's an interesting take. I mean, I love the point about if they call an RPO and Drake throws a 15-yard pass, it counts as a run on there. I, you know, that's some fuzzy math, uh, but I like it. It's kind of like throwing swing passes and saying those are run plays. You know, whatever moves to chains is the only things that only thing that matters here. And so, Greg, let's transition into Carolina's passing game, and we'll get the Miami side of things here in a second. But you mentioned Drake. We mentioned Drake. We have a Drake portion of the show on the day after podcast. I mean, it's just all Drake all the time. Uh, 
what can he do Saturday to make you say, wow, that he hadn't already done? And I say that somewhat facetiously because he's been fantastic. And if he just does what he's been doing, he's going to be uh, have another fantastic game. But, but what does he need to do more, um, in your opinion, to sort of, I don't know, I don't even know how to put it, be better than he's been? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty easy. He's been fantastic when given time to throw. And he's also shown a, an ability to scramble out of trouble. But I think where he, he can make strides, and I think where he's going to have to make strides before he goes to the NFL, and where pretty much every quarterback has to make strides, is that when, when the pocket collapses and the pressure is there, as it likely will be on Saturday, uh, he's got to be able to process and make decisions quicker. I mean, he wasn't great with that against Notre Dame. Kind of got him into a little bit of trouble at times. Um, and whether that's you know just tucking the ball and getting down, worst-case scenario, or throwing it out of bounds, or trying to find somebody underneath, you're just, just kind of expediting that a little bit. I mean, that's really about it. Um, you want to talk about the, the passing game, Tommy. Um, not to go ahead and bleed this into the Miami discussion, but if you look at deep passes, uh, which is 20-plus yards, looking at PFF here, He's got a 98.1 passing grade on deep passes. Uh, he's 18 of 29 for 567 yards. And what's crazy about that is PFF credits him with 14 big-time throws on 29 attempts. I mean, that is elite stuff. Uh, and so, as I said, when, when the pressure gets to him, he's got to be a little bit more proficient there. But when the opportunity exists and he's got time in the pocket he's got to capitalize on some of those throws down the field he's done it all season long and i think that probably will determine the outcome of this game on saturday jason so what you're saying is middle tennessee or what greg's saying is middle tennessee state put up the blueprint um against miami two weeks ago where they hit them for what a 98 yarder all the way i think 71 67 and a 65 maybe yeah, so so do we do we expect to see some of this, Jason, on Saturday? And Jason, I'll add this in there too. Do you think Kevin Steele will switch up his coverages because of what happened two weeks ago? I honestly don't think he'll do that. Uh, Steele does what he does, um, and you know I think there's going to be there's going to be some different uh, some different effort on that they're going to try to they're going to try to get their corners to just play better i mean they need stevenson to, to play better they need you know they need to they had a they had a, a freshman i think it was that got beat for a couple of them and i think they had one guy that was injured so you know maybe that maybe that changes but i don't think they're going to do stuff that's a whole lot different it's just going to be what they do uh and yeah middle tennessee state absolutely put up the blueprint for how to play against this particular miami team you you absolutely have to, uh, you ha you have to throw the football down the field on them. You have to get vertical on them with your outside wide receivers. That's what you've got to do. You're not going to run it a ton on them, but you are going to find you are going to find some guys open if you can get some verticals and basically choose your matchup because they do not have a bunch of guys that are great one on one coverage guys. 
Man, Jason is fighting the Death Star now as we speak. Uh, somebody said something. It is uh, live shows bring live action, boys. And uh, that's what you get. I love it. Personally, love it. We'll see how it translates. It's always a fun time, at least. Greg, um, I, how prof- get in. I got a stat. Can I give you my, can can. I give you my stat of the day? <laughs> can we go there? Yeah, we can go ahead and do your stat. Right. Here's, here's the stat of the day. Um, Miami ranks tied for 14th nationally in fewest plays of, of 10 plus yards allowed 31. So that's really good. That's what that's my math is not very good. That's almost eight a game, 10 plus yards. I mean, uh, that's pretty stout. However, on plays of 60 plus yards, Miami is dead last in the FBS uh, they've given up four. I think all four to Middle Tennessee State. It was all so four in one game. Yeah, so they're one one thirty first. So uh, that to be said, um, I know a lot of people were looking at that Middle Tennessee State game and, and saying, "Ah, it's defense and all that." Other than really like a handful of plays, Miami's defense has been really good all season long, um, and so that's that's the thing. I mean, if there's an area to exploit, clearly Middle Tennessee State showed us that, uh, but I. That's why I'm curious if still makes any changes on the back end, uh, because otherwise it's been a really good defensive unit. Yeah, and I love how he took complete ownership of what happened against Middle Tennessee State and said they would get it corrected. Um, you always hear a lot of coach speak, but he owned it as much as any coach I've heard um, in a while. So let's flip it here. I mean, Miami's got a good defense, but they're not playing well. Um, Carolina's got – a good offense and not a great defense, but they're four and one. Greg, when you flip it to Miami's offense on Carolina's defense, where's the advantages for Carolina here, if there are any? Well, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Gene Chizik's defensive blueprint um, is the bend, don't break. He's willing to kind of give up yards in between the 20s and they kind of buckle down in the red zone. Uh, They really did that to an elite level in 2015, did pretty good in 16. Hasn't been quite that to start the year, although they obviously were a lot better against Virginia Tech. Um, Miami, on the other hand, has moved the ball really good in between the 20s. They've been pretty proficient. But they get into the red zone and just, I mean, just slam on the brakes and have had such a hard time actually scoring once they get into the red zone. Um, So if you look at their numbers – you know, in terms of efficiency, they've been pretty good. I mean, not great, but pretty good. But just the the scoring hasn't been there. They've really kind of struggled there. And, of course, you have the outlier of that, that first game where I think they hung 70 on some FCS team. Um, so it's really that kind of unique dynamic of your Miami is going to win in between the 20s just because of how these, these two units have worked all year long. What happens in the red zone? You know, can Carolina stand up and force several field goals? when Miami gets down there or is Miami because now you know, they're healthy with the running backs and they have some semblance of a running game. Are they able to control the line of scrimmage and, and turn some of those red zone opportunities into touchdowns? I think that's really the key point here and how this game plays out. If Miami has success in the red zone in terms of turning those opportunities into touchdowns instead of selling for field goals, Miami probably wins the game. But if Carolina is able to, limit that touchdown red zone percentage that I think Carolina probably has a really good chance. Jason, let me throw up a question for you um, from 
WH thirteen fifteen. That's a long one. Um, so I will seed the floor. We're starting to see a transition on defense as UNC starting to integrate different personnel groups and different defensive looks, especially on the front than in the first four games. Jason, your thoughts there overall and then how it applies to this Miami game. So I don't think there's really been much of a transition personnel-wise. They're still playing the same guys. Uh, I do think that there have been a few guys who the la this last week played better than they played all season. I thought this was Ritzy's best game. Uh, I thought uh, I thought the backers were okay in this game. And I thought the secondary took a little bit of a step forward, at least after the first quarter. So, you know, those are all positives. But some of that is because Virginia Tech just didn't have players. So I do want to see that step forward, that transition a little bit more this week. Because Miami, even though they've not had a bunch of success, they, they are more dangerous than – what you just faced. This is a team that does have some players, but again, they, I mean, they've had trouble manufacturing a lot of a lot of points on offense because they don't have a whole lot of players out wide. And this is the thing. I mean, it's not just the transition from Rhett Lashley to Josh Gaddis that has made the difference there. They lost their their, their top wide receiver from last year, and then uh, Xavier Restrepo, who that was going to be the guy that um, that. He was their top receiver and definitely was their top receiver in the first game. He broke his foot and he's out. So, and they've just not had any wide receivers that have stepped up and answered the bell. They've had some of the, uh, they're among the nation's leaders in drops and they've not created a whole lot of separation downfield. And so they've not been able to make a lot of big plays. And that, you know, again, this is playing into, you know, UNC's MO of basically foster force teams to get downfield uh, in small force teams to, you know, matriculate in, you know, eight, 10 play drives, which is actually what Mario Cristobal wants to do, but he also wants to be able to play action and throw down the field. And they've not had any success doing that. Uh, actually they and, and NC state both have had a lot of similar problems this year, losing some key receivers having quarterbacks that, you know, were highly thought of coming into the year who struggled just partly because they've not had weapons. Now, again, there's enough talent on that roster that you worry that, okay, is this the game that they're going to get right? Is this the game that some of those receivers step up and make those plays that, uh, you know, Will Mallory steps in and actually has the game, the kind of game that he's capable of. Is that going to happen? But this is one of those games where, like I said, I don't think there's been a whole lot of transition in terms of personnel, they're doing the same things as well, but I do think you, we've seen a, a little bit of a kind of a half step forward. I think they're going to need to take another half step forward to really be where they want to be to put themselves in position against this team. Yeah, right. and Tommy, to, to build off of that, one of the reasons that that uh, Mario likes the kind of the, the plotting offense, one, it, it controls the clock, it really complements the defense, um, and if you're if you're clean, you can gradually wear a you know, defense down. Um, and one of the issues, one of the, the ways to stop that, and one of the things that the gene kind of pushes for, is if you cover effectively, you can create turnovers. Uh, and then if you're able to generate any kind of pass rush, you can get TFLs. Carolina hadn't done that all year long. I mean, Carolina is dead last in the ACC and tackles for loss. Um, and so you. 
as, as Jay Bateman used to say, he had all the, the data. But any drive that has a tackle for loss on it, your chances of scoring is like cut in half. I mean, it plummets. Uh, whereas Gene, you know, the way he's had to do it this year is just hope teams kind of shoot themselves in the foot. And Virginia Tech did that. I mean, they had, what, six drops, including some early that, that kind of changed the, the flow of that game. Um, and so I think that's that's the the issue is uh, can Carolina put Miami behind the chains enough to really limit what they want to do really in between the 20s? Um, and I, I think Gene has to figure out a way to do that because even though Miami has not been great offensively, they've been okay. Um, and just waiting on them to make a mistake I think is asking a lot. Yeah, Tyler Van Dyke, four touchdown passes all year, three interceptions, two of which were the first two passes in that Middle Tennessee State game. Greg, let me ask you a question. I'll bring it up here, and we can talk about it, though I don't really know if we entirely understand the situation down there. But is is this a pressure game for Miami? I mean, is the pressure on Miami and the pressure on Tyler Van Dyke to step up? I mean, it's sort of one that Carolina can go in sort of free. Uh, you know, we talked about it. it's a big game for both teams, but is the pressure on Miami in your opinion? Not necessarily. I mean, this is this is year one for Mario, um, so there there is expectations on this team just because of uh, you know the talent level and because Van Dyke had a good close of the year last year. Uh, but I mean, it's a work in progress, you know. And, and Max' first year back in 2019 was messy. You know, had two really big wins to start the year, and just looked you didn't play up to competition against Wake and App State. Uh, and so there's those ebbs and flows that you deal with in year one. So I don't know that there's a lot of necessarily ex- extra pressure. Um, I do think Miami understands that if they want to win the Coastal, this is the game they probably need to win, especially with it being at home. So maybe from that standpoint a little bit. Uh, but I, I don't think there's a lot of extra pressure. I think if anything, Miami's kind of embarrassed about what happened against Milton Tennessee State. And they're chomping at the bit to get back out there and prove that, hey, you know, that, that's not Miami football. That's not who we're going to be. Uh, we want another opportunity to prove what we can be. Yeah, people talk about bye weeks are a good thing, not when you get embarrassed at home. Jason, I'll come to you. Um, you, you had a comment on something Tyler Van Dyke has said this season, but also what do you see Gene Tizit doing um, to, to scheme against this Miami offense? I think this is one of those game, one of those weeks where you play a decent amount of cover seven. Uh, so that's a, a quarters concept where you know we know Chiswick likes to go split safeties more more often than not, but I think this is one of those weeks where you you go cover seven more, uh, which what that does is that allows you to match up a little bit more man to man on verticals on the outside with your corners, while allowing one of your safeties, depending on which side the run play would go to, one of your safeties to really fit down into the box nicely against certain run action. Uh, and w- again, the, the danger of playing that kind of coverage is giving up some potential uh, deep posts over the top, that sort of thing. But I think with this Miami team, you're willing to maybe take that game a little until the, until Van Dyke shows that he's actually on in, in the game and that they've got some receivers that are actually willing and able to make that play. I think you force them to – I think you try to take away the running game that Cristobal really wants to, to, to start with, and you do that by doing a lot of cover seven, 
Uh, in some cases, I think rotating to robber or, you know, some cover one type stuff with a single deep, deep safety. Those are some things that you do. You bring some of the same run blitzes and things that they used this last week against, against Virginia Tech. I mean, schematically, a lot of the things that you're going to be going against aren't all that different. So I think there you just try to uh, put your defense in position where you're going to be gap sound and you're going to have the best opportunity to mute yourself buddy i think r2d2 is talking in the background sorry there uh, yeah we're there you can finish up you were about finished yeah yeah there we go so uh, if they do show that they can that they can uh, that they can stop you or that they can throw it over the top a little bit, then you play a little bit. Uh, you go back to some of the cover two stuff that you you know that is your base uh, in in Chiswick stuff, and you, and you play that and you make them run the ball down the field a little bit. But I think you try to take the way take away the run in this game. Greg, I'll flip back to the offense. What's Carolina's approach on offense? What's Longo going to do in this one? And and who besides Drake May is going to be the guy we're talking about Sunday? I think it's got to be the tight ends just because uh, you know, Miami is going to have success kind of collapsing the, the pocket. And I think they're going to do whatever they can to bracket Josh Downs. Um, and I think it's going to be a race. You, does, does Drake have time to throw the deep ball? Um, and so you'll see Longo, you go with, go with some, some heavy sets, two tight ends staying in the block, max protect type deals to give them some opportunities. I don't think you can do that all game long. And so that's why the tight ends are so important. Um, kind of hanging out over the middle while Josh Downs is taking up so much focus as he should. Um, and we've seen the tight ends be really good. I mean, all three of them have been great this year. And I think those are the guys that they have big games. That's, that's a pretty good sign for Carolina. All right, let's get into the uh, prediction portion. I'm going to throw this up. Hold on. Let me make sure I'm not missing anything. Uh, I'm going to throw this up for you, Jason. I'm going to come to you first on predictions. Nick Whitfield. Jason going to pick Carolina to win. The FSU in him hates Miami always. He'd pick my college flag football team to beat Miami. (laughs) (laughs) Have fun with it. He's not exactly wrong. Although I have picked Miami to beat North Carolina in the past, and they've done it when I picked them. This is not one of those years, though. This is not one of those years where I think Miami should be picked to beat this North Carolina team. Can this Miami team beat this North Carolina team? Absolutely. This is, you know, a 60-40 game in my estimation. It's one where, you know, especially coming off a bye, a little bit wounded, that's going to be a, that's going to be a Miami team that they're going to give Carolina, you know, the best they've got here. But, you know, I think this Carolina offense is just going to outscore them, frankly. Uh, I, I think that's what this game comes down to is I haven't really seen from Miami's offense aside from that first game of the year where, you know, they, they scored what 70 points against Bethune Cookman since then it's 30 points against Southern Miss nine points against Texas A&M and 31 uh, or I'm sorry, 17 reading the wrong column there uh, 17 points against, uh, against middle Tennessee. I, you know, I don't see them going out there and just running up a bunch of points. And I think Carolina is going to be able to move the football and score some points on that defense through the air. So I'm going to take Carolina to win it. I do think this will be a ball game. I'm going to go with Carolina winning this game 41 to 30, 
uh, to 41 to 34. Interesting take. And, and Middle Tennessee State, the Blue Raiders got them 45-31. So they did score 31 points there. Um, Greg, hold on a second. I'm going to throw this up for you. Scott Dawson says, if UNC can hold Miami under 30 points, Carolina wins. What's your prediction, Greg? Yeah, you know, Miami has not been elite offensively. But that's, part of that's by design in terms of – I mean, they're not a up-tempo type offense whatsoever. As we've talked about, Mario kind of wants to ground and pound as best he can to complement his defense. Um, does this Miami offense need to get better quickly? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I think they'll be able to limit Carolina offensively. Maybe not quite as good as Notre Dame did, but kind of in the same fashion. So the question, I mean, completely to me is, you know, what what can Gene Chizik do uh, when Miami gets on Carolina's side of the field? I think that's going to determine this game. And, uh, you know, with it being on the road, um, with this being a, a much better, uh, much more talented unit than what Virginia Tech provided, I just don't have a lot of trust in this defense quite yet. And I have a ton of respect for, for Phil Longo and, Drake May and what they've done, uh, but I'm going to need to see it. And so I've got Miami winning this one 35-31. Um, I'm with Jason. I, I, mean, I really think this is a toss-up game. Carolina certainly can win. The defense just needs to, to make a few more plays. Uh, and, you know, if Drake May has an elite game, then that may be enough. But, but I've got Miami winning this one. I've just got to see that defense perform better than what it's done thus far, uh, last week notwithstanding. Yeah, I picked Carolina in the preseason to win this game, if y'all remember correctly. Um, that was before we'd seen Drake May throw a pass. Even though I must have believed uh, Jason in his uh, evaluation of Drake. Uh, but I think Carolina will, to Jason's point, just outscore them. I mean, I, I, I could see this being 45, 48, 52 to high 30s or something like that. I think um, if Carolina doesn't have some – fluke turnovers i think they've got a great chance to outscore miami it is interesting to hear the differences on that side and on this side there's a lot of angst from both sides when you talk about who's going to win this game but i think carolina gets it done down there and i think then it then we move into talking about okay is this the season that we may be expected going into it greg barnes jason staples on the edges of the death star I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. It's been the Game Plan Podcast. Anything we missed, boys, before we get out of here? Greg, you got you got one more wild stat. Did you see did you nah. see Buck's did you see Buck's stat of Drake May on fourth downs? Yeah, it's crazy. crazy. Six for six with four touchdowns and a sixty-four yarder at that. I mean that that's gotta be find me a more insane stat this year in the ACC. I'd like to see it. Appreciate well, it, I mean, Jason. The uh, the 14 big-time throws and 29 attempts on deep passes, uh, that's yeah, elite that's, stuff too. So. That's pretty close to that's pretty close to, uh, to crazier. I, I, in fact, it might be crazier. That's just wild numbers. Yeah, we are seeing something special, at least in the first month and a half of the season in Chapel Hill. We'll see if it continues on Saturday from Hard Rock Stadium. Zach Small said, thoughts on lack of attendance at games in Miami. It's not an on-campus facility. Um, and I'm it's, sure there's. If it was. It's 30 minutes from campus. They have buses to to bring students over, which apparently has always kind of been a mess. 
and it's a small school, so it's not a, a lot of alumni. That's it's a pro pretty sports much town at the small school. Yep, and it's quite frankly the beach is right there. So, is a student going to the game or to the beach? Yes, yeah, that's that's not that tough. All right, boys, game plan sponsored by Johnny T-shirt. Appreciate everybody joining us. We are out. It was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.